Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. It's stage number two of Scott Chabuck on Open Trailer Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Austin. This time out, we pick up right where we left off, discussing the infamous Big Dog 400, and probably one of the reasons why it was the only Big Dog 400. Scott has some real successful years teaming up with Jay Cushman, eventually comes back to Wiscasset Speedway, where he has a very interesting role, and we're going to get into all that stuff, plus a whole lot more. Thank you to everybody who supports this podcast. We just did another order of decals, which will be going out soon to our Patreon army. If you're not part of that, patreon.com slash Podcast. Certainly appreciate your contribution. 100% of it goes right back into the recording, the equipment, the travel, and yes, the marketing. Again, that's patreon.com slash Podcast. And we are a product of Maine Vintage Race Car Association. Help us preserve the history of racing in Maine. That includes storing the artifacts, displaying the artifacts, and sharing the stories. And for $2 a month, actually less than $2 a month, you can subscribe to our cause. Mr. Wiscasset, Ken Monnet is back in the co-host chair, and it's time for Stage 2 of Scott Chabuck on Open Trailer Podcast. Enjoy. What was it like that weekend, getting up in the morning? Do you remember the morning that you got up at the Big Dog 400 and thought, you know what, by the end of the day, I could be $100,000 rich? Yeah, this was October 12th of uh, 2003. And they actually qualified the night before on a Saturday night. And we time trialed fifth, started on the pole, one I heat easy over Benji. So Jay says, go home, get some sleep. And we come back the next day and it's raining. And they actually run the race on Monday. We Yeah, it got rained out and, and run on a Monday. So this race, even though... Was this the only time that they did this? Yes. That was a one and only. One, one and only. But it, um, in, the, in the grand scheme of Maine racing, I think it holds some weight as far as the drama that you were personally involved with. Yes, yeah. There was plenty of drama. Uh, we, must have, we must have started right up front. I, I think I took off and led for a while. And Cassius and Johnny. I, no, actually, I started right up front, and Johnny took the lead right off the bat. Yeah. And then I passed Johnny, and I was leading, and Cassius was dogging me, so I let Cassius go. And we were just racing, logging laps. And we never, we never pitted. We went 200 laps straight. We were leading it halfway. Did you get a bonus for that? No, that was the problem with the hundred thousand dollar race. Uh, Every, there was no lap money. There was yeah, no nothing. Everything all the was, money in was the purse. On the purse. All the lap leader. It was a big purse. So, having your experience here at the track that day, and obviously Jay Cushman being a veteran himself, how much did you discuss what you were going to do in that race before you ran it? Jay was awesome at watching the race, calling the race from the spotters. 
he didn't spot for that race because we had uh, John Swanson, actually a guy from Massachusetts, spotted. But, oh, the old Bush North driver. Yes. Yeah. He spotted. He was awesome. But Jay could watch the race and see what's coming and going. And mm. we didn't plan on pitting because we put the two barrel on. We had 22 gallon cell. So we made it to halfway, put our four tires on. We never planned on pitting again. So what was, I don't know what, so was it our mandatory pit stop at the halfway mark? There was a halfway break. Okay. 200. So that was basically, so, but no one would bring in the big, big pit crews? No, no big pit crews, nothing. Yeah. How were you guys feeling at that break? Was the race playing out the way you expected at the time? Well, we were, uh, it's one of them times where I was in the car and hmm. I could, Tell the guy was good and just just clogging laps. I probably that was one of them times. I remember I should have been putting more cars a lap down and driving harder, but I got the lead, got out of a big lead, and just rode too much. I probably should have put more people, then I wouldn't have had to worry about them later. But yeah, and then when you get down to within a hundred laps to go, things started to come unraveled a little bit. Some of the big players are starting to tangle a little bit, and. Um, kind of leads us up to probably the most controversial moment of that race but you were talking a little bit about what led up to that point yeah actually what led up to that point was early in the season we had a race here i was in jay's car uh dale shaw was racing the full pass deal and i drove underneath him clean never touched him passed him over and three and four we get back to one and two and he spins me out and we have a big confrontation and Mayberry's involved you guys have got to do better than this and just you're pretty much on probation the rest of the year well he's basically talking to his two top stars right now so much like in days of thunder where you know we're not going out to dinner and you're not getting running cars but you guys need to figure this out right so we pretty much did we stayed away from each other the rest of the season and unbeknownst to me they had had run in Tom and, and they were mad at each other so after we pit for four tires, we take off. Johnny Clark breaks a hub or a wheel. Cassius Clark runs over it. I got my spotter. He lets me know. Caution. So I slow up on the front stretch. This is easy stuff. Mm-hmm. Venji gets into Scott Frazier, which gets into the side of my car. Under caution. Under caution. Caution just come out. Happened right on the front stretch caves the door and pushes the quarter down they look at it uh, you're good to go let's take back off we take off the thing smoking Ugh. so first caution we get we come in scott malkern was there the crew was there they the door was tore up enough so they had taken the door off his car ready to put on mine hmm. put that door on change the right side tires and start making our way back to the front and you you do make that charge back to the front. Yes, yeah. People are starting to really get up on the edge of their seat on this right. battle because all of a sudden you've chased down Dale Shaw yeah. again. Now we're inside, what, 25 laps yeah. to go, and this is where it starts getting would, interesting. With like 30 to go, I had got beside him coming out of four, but we caught a lap car, so I backed out. I could have forced the issue, and I didn't. How much of that conversation from earlier in the year is going through your mind? A lot, because I'm pretty sure that I can't touch him at all. Yeah, with $100,000 I got to do it clean. So we have some restarts. He runs me high, he runs me low, and coming out on the backstretch, I get underneath him. And coming he chops me. too, yeah. And around, we both go. And it broke the right front tie rod, so I was done. Oof. And that was with 18 laps to go. And if I'd ever got in front of him, he was there because of attrition. He wasn't there because he was not good all weekend. But if I could ever get 
in front, it would have been a different story. Can I ask a rookie question? Why did you need another door? Why couldn't you just run it doorless? Uh, they must have thought that aerodynamics, aerodynamics on this car on this track because they put it on. Okay, because I was quick. like Scott Mulkern had another door, and I'm like, why does he need another door? Yeah. Some sometimes there's rules that way, and then sometimes it's just because you know, yep. obviously, Wiscasset is biggest track, fastest track in Maine, um, makes a difference. So then walk us through the final end of that race. Uh, all of a sudden, the dust settles. Wait a minute, it's not over? <laughs> Sammy Sessions sneaks in. Uh, I don't think race. he led more than, what, one or two laps no, in that race? No, he wouldn't want to. He had a horrible day. He was tore up, but he was actually, Dale had spun, Jeff Taylor had taken the lead because Jeff Taylor was running third. Yeah. And he told me after the race, I knew I was, it was my race because I knew you guys were going to take each other out because... Yeah. You wanted the money, and he wanted the money, too. And Dave Gorvette was uh, in Dave the mix Corvette there as well. Dave Gorvette from Canada, uneven. Yeah. But on the next restack, I think Shaw went in and spun out Taylor, and they put him to the back, and then Sammy Sessions was won the race. How come there was never a sequel to that? Was it money, or was it just too much drama in the first one? Uh, we don't need to do this ever again. You think from, from Mayberry's Point. Personally, I think it might have been money. Tom actually only ran Wiscasset that one year. Yeah. I think he kind of circled the wagons and reconcentrated his efforts right. on, on the past tour at that mm. time. Yeah. Well, uh, skip ahead to 2004. That's when you win your first pass race. Uh, tell me about that day. Where was that at? You uh, tell me. I don't know. Probably Speedway 95. <laughs> I just says first pass race 2004. We'll hit pause. <laughs> I can't remember. I didn't. I just. I looked well, up. Well, then obviously the, you don't remember it. <laughs> I had won a pass I race. Up the pass I had won a pass race. I didn't write down what track it was at. Yeah, the, the record keeping was real spotty back then. Anyway. Yeah. I think I'd won a couple pass races with Hank. Yeah. Here and Manuel. Mm. But those years with Jay Cushman, just to get back a little bit, you guys have a really good run for for a couple of years. Uh, when does that relationship ex- not exhaust itself? But when does it come to an end? It never really exhausted itself, but I know we had people that wanted to pay to drive his race car, and I was getting part of the purse, and that was my part of me going there, and part of me, I was the one that did everything on the race car. Mm. And Well, I think that's interesting, too. Um, I always like to know, like, when people like yourself, you know, the, you know you're obviously your name, you've won a ton of races, championships and everything, and you end up with, um, you know, a marquee car, like a Cushman car. Mm-hmm. What's the split on that? That... Big dog cost me thirty grand, so it was a third. <laughs> How did the big dog cost you thirty grand? Because if I'd have won the race, I'd have got thirty grand my split. They, wow, that's uh, that was going to be the down payment to our house. <laughs> but that's why you don't count. Were your you tickets. were you counting the money the, on uh, those final laps? too early? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> How much was your house going through your mind when you were like, I can't touch Shaw right now. I can't touch Shaw right now. No, I was just working, trying high, trying low, trying to get and. Just mm. never worked. Yeah, but you do end up in another ride uh, after the the Cushman thing. Um, like, if you don't mind getting into how that ended first, though. I mean, at what point do you were you? Did either someone say to you, or did you say to the team, two thousand seven, we're doing something different? I just knew that he had Trevor Sanborn was looking to pay to drive his cars to mm. get his car in, and Jay was like that idea of having someone flip the bill instead of him right and how did so, that conversation go down i just basically said next year i'll 
find something different. Yeah. So you guys still friends today? Oh, and, real yeah. good friends. That's awesome. Yeah. What kind of influence has he had on you uh, in, in the grand scheme of your racing career? He's like I say, the, the way he calls races and stuff, it probably made me a better racer. Mm. Just thinking of the things and the way he was doing things. And What's the biggest piece of advice that he's given you? Not really one example, just a lot of advice over the mm. four years we were together. You do jump into another race car, the iconic number 77. Ken, you want to get into some of those days? Uh, yeah, uh, you joined up with the Height family. How did that whole thing come about? Wasn't uh, was that was Cassius driving the car at the time, or did no? He, take he drove over the after car you? after me. Okay, yeah. Um, I, I think he Corey was driving the car for a Corey was driving the car here, and because of family obligations and stuff, I don't think they want him to drive the car anymore. And he had actually called the last year I was driving Jay's car, but I had said I was all set. And then I actually did a couple early '07. I did a couple races with Scott Malkern. And Glenn Stuba was helping out uh, getting Corey's car together. And Corey says, why don't we call up Scott? And Glenn, uh, they said, oh, I've already called him. He don't want to drive my car. And Glenn says, oh, I'll get him to. And I was down to Scott's. Glenn called me up and says, why don't you come up here and check this car out? And mm-hmm. Was this after you had parted with Cushman? Yes. So how long? With like a month or a few weeks? Because obviously it's consecutive years. This was at, the, no, I had parted with Cushman in 04. Oh, okay. No, 06. 06. Oh, I thought it was 06, yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, at the end of the year, was, at the end of the year, we parted. Yeah, 07 mm-hmm. was kind of the transition year. Right. Yeah. And then I was going to just do like five races with Scott Malkern and help him on his outlaw car. Mm-hmm. And that's when Glenn called and said, come up, check this out. We got a Hanley car. And we went to Beatridge and tested it. Test went well. And they said, oh, there's a race in Canada at 660. And I love 660. And they did too. And we went up and won our first race together. What is it about that track that really fits your racing style or your driving style? It's a quarter mile and it's tight, got good banking, mm. and you can get on the outside and pass race guys. And What's your least favorite track? Probably Oxford. <laughs> <laughs> Considering all the success that you've yeah. had there. Yeah. Uh, what's the furthest track that you've raced away from Bath, Maine? Lakeland, Florida. Which is a fast half mile track. Very fast. Tell me about that experience. It's not half as intimidating as Thompson, but it's it's fast. It's but it's got bigger sweeping corners. So, how did that deal come together? That uh, you ended up in Lakeland. Uh, Teddy Christopher, I prepared the car in Speed Weeks that year. Teddy was going to drive the car at Speed Weeks, and Jay's parents had houses down there, so we went down, tested the car at. Why can't I think of where Speed Weeks is? Oh, uh, New Smyrna. New Smyrna, yeah. We tested the car at New Smyrna, Teddy did, and then I was going to race the car at Lakeland and go home, come back a week later, and go to Speed Weeks with Teddy and Jay. Were you tight with Teddy Christopher? Not or? super tight. We'd, we we uh, There was a Funkmaster Flex race in like... Oh, 2004. Yeah. Yes, I remember that one. That yeah. was... What was your experience with that? Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was a TV race, and we jawed back and forth, and... Yeah. It was pretty pretty neat. What uh, do you have any Teddy Christopher stories? Anything that jumps out at you, on or off the track? Just all because uh, uh, he was jarring at me when I was in the trailer, and he, how many races have you won this year? And I hear you're your own worst enemy. And <laughs> wow, yeah, wow! But he knew it was for TV, and we were giving it back and forth, and just cool. He was a good guy. Do you remember when you got the news that he had uh, he had passed away? 
Yes, I was actually here racing, and I he had run Scott's car at Loudon, I think earlier that same year, or maybe the year before, and somebody here said Malkern was in the plane with him, and I'd worked for Malkern. And I remember that night that rumor was flying around flying that around. Scott was in, involved I didn't think, in no way, well. so I got a hold of Tony, which was his employee, and said, no, he wasn't with him, it was his pilot, but... So, yeah, and it sucked. It's a big, uh, big, big loss. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's get back into the height years. Um, you know, you you're cruising along, you're winning races. Uh, what's it about that team? How how is it different than every other experience that you had, or was it? It wasn't really. It was it was nice equipment, and they would spend money, and we went racing. Do you guys did you ever run a full season with them? Because I noticed there was a lot of partials in there, seven or eight no. races. We were, the last year I was with them, we were going to run the whole season, but that in 11, we ended somewhat towards the end of the season. But I think the second season, we were right up there in points, but we never were planning on running the whole deal. And then, uh, you know, of course, we're at Wiscasset Speedway today in the race shop, and it's January, and there are things going on at the track. It's amazing that it's 19 degrees outside, and this is, it's a full-year operation. You have cars here and everything. And for someone who's from Bath, to hear that Wiscasset Speedway is coming back with the, the Jordan ownership, what was that news like for you as an individual? Oh, that was awesome. Because I had, when Richard and Vanessa and Corey and Walter were all good friends, it must have been 08 or 09, they asked me to bring Richard's late model car before he even bought the track mm. to Corey's shop, and I set the car up, and we actually went to the Long John, and I spent a bunch of time with Richard, and I knew he was awesome then. And then when I found out they won the auction, it was... Good. Were you part of the Save Wiscasset Speedway? No, part? I was no? like I was. That was must have been. I was past racing and just wasn't right. But you decide to come back home. Yes. What drove that decision? Because you can pretty much go anywhere you want at this point. Not really, because the, the the rides where people want you in their car are few and far between now. So. Mm. How much have you seen racing change from the days of, say, when you were that brash 20, 22-year-old coming in with street stocks and missing out on $30,000 because that was the split back then? And it seems like, if I'm not mistaken, the 77 car situation goes away for a similar, in a similar uh, way that the Cushman car went away. Is that what happened? Someone else came along and had money No, for that? that wasn't. That ended not quite as amicable as everyone we still talk but mm. that was the same deal there i was getting paid and i was doing all the work and we had a bunch of races were successful won some races and we needed a crew chief mm. and somebody to set the car make decisions and i was doing it all i had my way and glenn which thought he had his way and it just didn't work out. And then Corey says, well, I just want to take a break. And then I find I go up to pick my stuff up. And I know before I even get there that they're at Oxford testing with Cassius. <laughs> so, wow. and I said, well, you could do things the same way we've been doing it. Right. Don't get yourself a crew chief and you'll have the same results. They run three races that year at the end of the year and top 15, 15 to 18th is where they finished. Right. Because this same they had to have something needed something because was getting so you had to have somebody on top of that because they were worrying about ride heights and all that that was the worst ever thing for 
super late model racer and was worrying about ride heights and getting the cars. Yeah, didn't it's, Scott King or Tyler King miss the 250 three times that year? Because Three times. Yeah. And the, the sad part is he missed the race three times with the oldest car, but one of the best going cars, yeah. and doing something that didn't cost nothing. Mm. The car was just low. It didn't cost a thing. His shocks were half of what the shocks were on the rest of the cars. At the so time. why I, that's been one of the more controversial things throughout recording this podcast and talking to different drivers that era. Why was there that rule? I know because like early when I drove the '77 car at Beach Ridge, we were always fast. But if you look at any pictures of the car when it went on the racetrack, it was on the racetrack. Mm. And then they started. You had to go through tech and get the car up, and that was when everybody was getting into shocks and bumps and. And then it was just, oh, we don't want the race guys dragging. Neither does the guy driving the race guy dragging. But you just let them get them down there, and they'll figure it out and keep it off the racetrack. Right. But they just had to. And now you go to a pass race, and you watch a car go through tech, and the nose is off the ground a foot. It's, it's foolish. Yeah. But. You come back to Wiscasset, though, in uh, 2013, and that's when you guys start really working together. Yeah. Um, you start. Um, and, and a lot of people may not know this, um, but Scott actually played – a pretty significant part in Richard uh, helping Richard actually rebuild this place I'd show up here to do my pre-race prep work on a Thursday and Scott's out in an excavator working way in the back 40 there clearing the lot and you spent a lot of time helping Richard actually rebuild this place it was actually fun because you get to get an equipment but like I said I had met Richard before and I didn't come back as soon as he opened back up but then when he started doing stuff and improvements I was here running equipment and helping out. As a lifelong resident of this part of the state, what's it like to have Wiscasset be where it is today? It's awesome. It's it's once if we can get a few more cars and a couple of classes and keep working at it. But the, the, the way things are now, money and everything, it's just it's harder for everything. But mm-hmm. the way they're doing it with the five dollars, the twenty dollars getting the pits, the tires cheap. It is what it is. It's the cheapest place to race, and it's the best place to race. What did you think when Richard came up with this concept of racing every other, having divisions race every other week? What were your thoughts on that? I, I had my doubts at the beginning, but boy, Same it works here. good. It works good. Whose idea was that, Ken? Uh, that was entirely Richard. Uh, we, we started out with the idea of of having four or five divisions, but then some guys are like well why can't we run these cars and these cars and all of a sudden we're back up to eight divisions the days of running a six hour race seven hour race show you can't do that anymore so uh we kind of bounced around some ideas and and richard's like hey why don't we just split them into two groups and have them race every other week and and was anybody do because people have adopted this in the wake of wiscasset's success but did he get that idea from anybody else I, I don't think so. I we think were just come trying across it all on his own. Yeah, we were just trying to figure out a way to compact the show, but give everyone a chance to race. And um, we've met a lot of resistance when we first came up with this. And um, now we couldn't think of taking it away. They just uh, gives it gives it. I think it helps stabilize our car counts better. That's mm. one kind of the residual benefits of it. Um, because it gives the low budget guys two weeks to get their car fixed to be able to race so and life is different i mean your life i'm sure in 1986 is much different than it is in 2022 yes so to be able to have that life balance and i mean you've raised children you've had a family the newer generation people want to go camping 
They want to buy a boat. They, it's not, we're going racing and this is how it is every single week. So, I mean, it's the new way to do business as far as I'm that's, concerned. That's the way it was for 20 years was you went racing every weekend. You missed a lot of stuff. Oh, mm. some guys would race two or three times. Right, yeah. yeah. I Actually, back in 96 and 97, we raced 36 times with Hank. Yeah. We would leave here and go to Bangor, Unity, wherever. One thing we haven't talked about a lot is family, and that's something we talk uh, at least a little bit on every episode of Open Trailer Podcast. Scott, you, uh, you're you not retired. You're still an active driver, but there is another generation that's coming in for 2022. You want to talk about that? Yeah, my son, Colton's finally going to get in a race car. Why do you say finally? Because uh, nowadays the thing is to have... 12 or 13 years experience before you get into a race car because you run go-karts and everything since you're five years old. And how old is Colton? Colton's 19. He's doing it the same way I did it. He's starting Mm. and he could race 40 years like I did if you want to. He, I've never met him, but the way his life is going isn't dissimilar to yours because he's 19 years old. He's starting racing. What else is he doing? Wasn't he involved in the shipyard? He went in the shipyard for a few months, and he's doing a lineman school. He's a lot different than me. He's already got a 401k started. He's much better off. <laughs> Do you see any of, um, has he seeked your counsel at all? I mean, is, how's he feeling about going into the year? Oh, he's nervous, and we talk a lot. He wants, because he want, he's got a lot of pressure on him, he thinks. But I, mm. I want him, this whole first year could be just logging laps. We're going to. He isn't brand new. He's he's been a part of your race team for a long time. What uh, what did he do? He's been my spotter for the last couple of years and does the tires and whatnot. Give me a jam that he got you out of on the racetrack as a spotter. Uh, well, Something that you wouldn't have gotten out of if it wasn't for him. Probably last year he was probably keeping because I told him he's got to stay on me because <laughs> lately I've been driving. I don't really get up on the wheel till I get mad, because I'm just out there. I'm driving. It's a kinder, and, gentler Scott Chabuck yeah, these somewhat. days. Somewhat, gentleman <laughs> Scott. Yeah. When I'm out there driving their car and I just just yeah. logging laps, and another car doesn't hurt, mm. but then someone will rub Run me the, the wrong way. And yeah. I said, Colton, you gotta you gotta come on the radio when you see me doing stuff and try to yeah. calm me down. He's probably kept me out of. That's cool. Now we're talking about the ride along car, right? Yes. So give me a little, uh, a little background on, on how you drive somebody around Wiscasset. How does that whole situation work out? We, I built it a couple of years ago, and we ain't used it as much as we should have. Cause of, mm. Tell them who your last passenger was in a late model race. The first time I drove it, we actually, Vanessa rode the whole race with me in a late model. <laughs> in the late model feature. Wow. We're out there. How, many, how fast are you guys going around the track? Uh, uh like high 80s yeah high 80s yeah um because late models here are just as 90 as pro stocks mid 90s and a pro stock yep that's uh that's quick so anyway she's driving or drive she's riding she's, she's riding she's there. riding we're in the heat race we come out on the front stretch a couple cars get together i see it coming out of the corner i'm all ready to go wherever mm. and do make the evasive move but vanessa sitting on the other side takes her hand over and puts it on me like she's gonna hey hey yeah. see this yeah <laughs> how close did funny. you get her to the wall very close, very close. <laughs> uh, this year Wiscasset has uh, their two big marquee events the Boss Hog the Coastal 200 Scott um, you've won one of these yeah. a couple of them a couple of them does it bother you whenever I bring up the fact that the Boss Hog is the, the one 
gem that's missing from your resume? The only reason he's asking because he knows it bothers me. Yes. <laughs> I actually went through the old stuff to see if I had, but. No. Uh, but no, answer the question. Oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I had found that I'd, I didn't know if they changed the name from the Boss Hog to the. Because they had a Dave. Uh, Hog to Daytona. Hog to Daytona. Yeah, I Dave had used one to that do a 100 lapper at the end of the year just Under before year, he left yeah. for, for I had Florida. won that one. Yes. And probably should have won that. Boss Hog one year we had, it was, I think it was a TV race. We had won the prior two big races and we had a distributor wire and we never even finished the race. But, hmm. but it gives me a gumption to keep wanting to win it to get that going. I, I won't needle with you with that anymore, I promise. What happened last year? Because I, I was here, was that, was it rain a bunch or something like that? Was that the Boss Hog? No, it's the Coastal. Coastal. Yeah. But um, how much do you prepare for that race now, going ahead, 2022? Uh, or is, is, was, I'm sorry, what is Colton racing this year? Is he racing that? Late models. So yeah. he's not running the... He, he might run the Coastal 200. We'll see how the first couple of weeks go and what mm. the car count is. So you still think you have a Boss Hog in you? Yes, for sure, for sure. Who are some of the the tough guys that you're racing these days? You know, some of the people that you were. Uh, different way to ask the question: Who are you surprised by uh, when you're competing with them now? After watching some of these drivers come up through the ranks, the problem with all this now is I'm racing with grandkids of people that I race with. That's what I'm surprised. Well, like by. one of your one of your best friends when you broke into pro stocks, you're racing with Kenny Wright. Now you're racing against Kenny Wright's kid, mm-hmm. Jamie. And I race with Dave St. Clair and I'm racing with and I race with Punson and you're racing with mm-hmm. Josh's Josh. grandson. Yeah, so what's it like racing with the uh, with the St. Clair kids cuz you've had the whole experience of St. Clair. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. He's he's a good racer. He gets it done. Do you see any similarities between any of them? Probably with him and Dave, because Dave was... I remember going, when I was racing street stock at Unity, with Dave with two wheels out off the backstretch, putting down sparks and mm. passing race guys at Unity. Proudest moment you've had in racing? <laughs> Probably the 250 in Fredericton. 2003? No, I think it was five with Cushman. It was the biggest paycheck, and it was a big raise. Were you able to put the down payment on the house? No, no. It was only six grand. Yeah. <laughs> um, I always like to ask, um, who who was your favorite? You know, who did you love racing with side by side? Who was it that just you had the best time? I loved racing with Stan. Chris Walkingham, we raced hard together. Yeah. Chris beat you out for Rookie of the Year, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, conversely, who was the most challenging? Who was the guy that just got under your skin? Ralph, when we raced with Ralph. Yeah. yeah. I, I haven't heard him do that before, have you? <laughs> Tell me how your blood pressure changed when you would look in your rearview mirror and you would see that, that Ralph Nason car, or you would look ahead and you're like, I got to deal with this guy now. Oh, it's just high alert. You just pumped up. And I was the type that the harder they made it, the worse I tried. Mm. Any uh, any advice for Colton going ahead in 2022? Uh, just log laps. Get to know where you are on the racetrack is what I'm telling him and worry about yourself and it'll all come. He hasn't raced any go-karts. No, he anything. hasn't. So he hasn't raced a thing? Nothing. What's it going to be like for you to stand on the outside looking in? Oh, I've already... 
whenever I because I like the Tibbet kids in Richmond, I spotted and anybody that I've helped and spotted for, I'm way worse nervous being out of the car watching than I am. And with him in the car, it's even going to be. Now it's your son. Now it's my son, so it's not even going to compare. Do you guys all still live under the same roof? Yes. Yeah. He's finishing up school. It's going to make for a very interesting uh, Sunday night dinner. I should. Just like to say, if anybody I missed, and thank you to Stacy and the kids and anybody on the cruise. I know there's other people, and there's been a lot of people that helped me get to. Stacy, your wife. How did you guys meet? In uh, 97, after I was divorced, she mm. was uh, lived right across the race shop in Wiscasset. So. so you're the top dog race car driver. I'm sure it's easy to seal that deal. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> she was younger and a whole lot wiser. and Yeah. What was your first date like? Where'd you guys go? Ah, uh, we went to the movies. Do you remember what you saw? Michael. Michael, what the hell movie was that? That was uh. Was that John Travolta? John Travolta, weird ass movie. It was like an angel or something. Yep. My God, but you still remember? That's awesome. What, what's your wedding song? Uh, it's your love by Tim McGraw. Tim, Tim McGraw. Yes, that's awesome, man. Well, cool, Thanks. Scott. It's been excellent to have you here. It's been a pleasure, and Ken, thank you for all of your help Anytime. in setting this up and. And I believe that's it for uh, this episode of Open Trailer Podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I want to thank Ken Monnet and Scott Shabuck for taking time out of their busy schedules to record on what was a cold January afternoon. You ever in a conversation with someone or, or even an argument and then... The argument or the conversation ends, you walk away or you're driving away and 10 minutes later, you're, of course, you're replaying the whole thing in your mind and you're like, I should have said that or I wanted to thank this person. And that is the case for Scott, who, well, in the time between recording and uh, editing and, and releasing the podcast, had a whole list of people that were extremely important to him and his success and he wanted them mentioned, which I think really, you know, speaks to Scott's character. He wanted to make sure that Leo, Gerald, Kenny, Hank, Brian, Jay, John, Rob, Gary, Jay, Joey, Tracy, Kyle, Sonny, Ben, Tony, Walter, Corey, Glenn, Chad, Fred, Joey, I I think, well, there's another Joey, Doug, Dwight, Mike, Colton, Richard and Vanessa, and the entire Chabuck family. Um, All very important, Scott. I mean, when you're in the interviewee seat, you're not in the cockpit of your race car. Many times uh, you're, I wouldn't say uncomfortable, but certainly not in your element. And I can appreciate someone who says, you know what, this is more than just what I did. Hey, next time out on Open Trailer Podcast, you know, and before podcasting, There were racing radio shows. One of the most popular ones in the Northeast was the Maine Motorsport Report. And Dan Wolf was your host. It was for me, it was very empowering because I could pick up the phone and Tom Curley would drive down from Vermont Hmm. to be on our show. Uh, Dave Dion would drive up from New Hampshire. We just had people come from all over the place. I was able to make friends with some of the Southern guys. You just ended up meeting Mm. so many cool people. Dan Wolf, Stage 1, next time out on Open Trailer Podcast. I'm Andy Austin. Thank you for the support.